on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Bombs, bullets, and bodies. In the 70s, it was mayhem in Northern Ireland. The death toll in Northern Ireland in 1972 reached 467. A grenade was thrown, and then there was a massive explosion. But hidden in the shadows of Belfast's worst atrocities lurked a new danger. Thomas Spence, 11, 13-year-old John Rogers disappeared in November 1974, waiting for a school bus on the Falls Road. Somewhere, some person knows something that could help in our investigations. Five young boys go missing in the city in the space of just a few years. I can't think of any other cases where boys disappeared around the same time, in the same area. I've never come across anything quite like that before. Only one body was ever found. Has it been established yet how the boy died? Uh, not at this stage. Uh, we are still waiting on reports from uh, the state pathologist department as to the actual cause of death. Fast forward to 2023 and a new documentary has raised new questions about whether the troubles mass something else going on right under our noses. The lack of evidence, the lack of investigation. What the hell went on here? There was evidence of a network of PFS. The files were all destroyed. The question arises, who authorised the destruction of those files? On this episode of The Bell Tale, here to discuss those disappearances is the director of Lost Boys, Belfast's Missing Children, Des Henderson. Des, a compelling documentary that brings part of the past, a different part of the past to the fore. For people who don't know, tell us about the boys featured in it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we live in Northern Ireland. We all think that we've heard all of the stories the Troubles have to offer. Um, and so for me, whenever I heard about this story initially, it must have been about six or seven years ago, I suppose I was intrigued because I'd never heard something like this before. So how the story came to me, I was making a different film and people started talking about rumours of, of boys going missing in, in the 70s in Belfast and, oh, you should look at that. And I did, I went and I googled and I found a few articles, not very much, but especially on, on Thomas Spence and John Rogers, who went missing uh, from the Falls Road area in 1974. And that was really the start of, of my research into the Lost Boys. You know, it started with that case, a case that I could find a little bit about. But on further digging, it, it, 
It transpired that there was more than two in 1969. Two other boys went missing um, from the east of the city. Um, David Leckie and, and Jonathan Avon. They went missing in 1969. And then Brian McDermott um, uh, went missing and was found murdered in, in 1973 in the Armo area of the city. Um, so when I had all this information together, we started to, to kind of try and, and look at at how we could investigate it and, and see if, if there were any connections and, and if there were, where might that lead? Now, the boys went missing in the space of five years. Two names that I wasn't very familiar with, David Leckie and Jonathan Avon. They were the first two boys in 1969 in East Belfast. Tell me a bit about them. Well, that's, I think that's really the heart of the story and goes to the heart of the story because Thomas Spence and John Rogers, there was a little bit of uh, media attention, very slight, mind you, but a little bit. So you could, those names kind of, they existed and you kind of knew that something had happened there. But you're quite right in terms of, of, of David Leckie and Jonathan Avon, you know, nothing existed. It was as if these Kids never existed, but of course they did. And the more I looked into it, these these two kids went missing in in 1969 from the east of the city. Um, they had uh, bunked off school and um, they'd went on a, on a bit of an adventure. It sounds like from what we could piece together with two other kids and two other kids met at home and those two didn't and were never seen again. And this that was really, you know, the parallels with um, then you know the story in 1974. The parallels. <laughs> It's just, it's it's eerily similar. Um, and that's where we really started to think there might be something here. And it is worth looking at these cases uh, in conjunction with each other. There are obvious themes here, you know. And as you say, it's a five-year period. And that's not a very long time at all, you know. Um, so it's, 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 it's very similar. And Brian McDermott, a lot of people will know because it was a case that shot everybody in Northern Ireland at the time, even during the height of the troubles. No one was ever brought to justice for Brian's murder. That was in 1973 in South Belfast. His body was found in a bag. Isn't that right? Yeah, Brian McDermott is a really interesting case when looking at at these cases as a whole. Um, uh, Brian McDermott, he was 10 years old. Uh, It was September 1973 uh, in the Ormo Park area where he went missing. Uh, Ten days later, his body was found in a Hessian sack in the River Lagan. Um, His body had been dismembered. The remains were charred. Has it been established yet how the boy died? Uh, Not at this stage. Uh, We are still waiting on reports from uh, the state pathologist department as to the actual cause of death. There's been a lot of speculation about this death, especially as it was such a vile crime. Are you working on any theories yet about how he died? Uh, We have certain theories, but uh, again, from a police point of view, it would be unwise at this stage to uh, disclose those theories. And the importance of that case, I suppose, and you're quite right, it got a lot of media attention. Horrific Um, case. And part of the reason why I think that is, is that his remains were found and they were found in, in, in such a, a gruesome way. Um, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, to wrap your head around, even with all the troubles raging and the, 
the heinous acts we're all kind of used to hearing, but you become inured to that almost because it's it's adults um, for the most part. But Brian McDermott seems to be an outlier in that, in the kind of the savagery of the troubles, you know, how, how that happened. And his body was found... Um, I wouldn't say by chance, but certainly there were there were there were aspects to it that that uh, that the the search teams got lucky. Um, the fact that there was a search team at all was it was great. But we sent as part of the Lost Boys film, we sent all this information, all the all the information we had on on the five Lost Boys, as we call them, Bram McDermott being one, and Professor David Cantor, who is a forensic psychologist, and um, we would more commonly know that person today as a as a profiler. He basically said that. The Brian McDermott case is the key to trying to understand what may have happened here. Um, The body was meant to be disappeared. The body was never meant to be discovered. So, you know, it's in the same time frame. It's the same age profile as the other boys who went missing. And so in his opinion, and this is a man who's worked with the FBI and with police forces around the world investigating serial murder cases, in his opinion, um, he thinks that that... Um, that case, Brian McDermott case, finding the body, is key to trying to understand what may have happened to the other lost boys um, in Belfast at the same period uh, of time. I have found a number of articles that mention Brian McDermott with David and Jonathan. It really doesn't surprise me at all that the police are looking at possible connections between these cases, and it makes sense, because these are three young boys of a similar age who went missing from the other homes in the same area, in this case, East Belfast. Obviously, Brian was murdered. That was established fairly quickly on. Thomas Spence and John Rogers, the boys who were murdered a year later, it took police maybe 30 years later to upgrade their disappearance to murder. They It was 2001, shortly before the Twin Towers attack. The day before, actually. That's yes. right, yeah. That they um, moved into West Belfast and dug up uh, properties in Rodney Drive looking potentially for bodies. Now, you know, tragically, all they found was the body of a dog. And they upgraded it to uh, a double murder inquiry then, why are you so convinced that David Leckie and Jonathan Avon came to harm? Yeah. They did simply vanish off the face of the earth. Yeah. But why do you think they potentially were murdered? Yeah, and I think that's true to say over all the cases. You know, Thomas Spence and John Rogers, you're quite right. Um, they did search those houses, so it's very clear that they believed that the boys had been murdered. Uh, although as far as we know, um, there is no further evidence in the nothing case. Nothing you know, yeah. nothing, No further evidence in the case. So I guess you have to look at David Lackey, Jonathan Avon, Thomas Spence, John Rogers together. You know, no ne- evidence has ever been found that these boys have been murdered. However, um, and speaking to um, a lot of the professionals, uh, people who, who do this as their as their full-time work, it's very clear what ha- what happened or what may have happened and it's also very clear what what didn't happen I suppose it's it's clear what didn't happen and that leads us to what might have happened so what didn't happen is you know the boys didn't run off with the circus because 50 years later you know that will be stretching credibility you know these were young boys so uh, between the ages of 10 and four, or 11 and 14 um so they didn't have any means 
you know, they didn't have bank accounts, they didn't have money, they couldn't exist, you know, and if they had have ran away, as some people, we established some young boys did during the Troubles, we established that through our inquiries, you know, um, there were boys listed as missing, for instance, um, which we dug into, we thought maybe there were 12, 13 boys missing initially. But when we dug into that, actually some of these boys turned up alive and we were like, well, you've been listed as, as a missing boy here in the Belfast Telegraph in 1972. And they're like, well, no, I ran off to London, you know, and I came back five years later. So that did happen. You know, people did run off. It was that kind of time. But I think now, in hindsight, 50 years later, we can definitively say these boys did not run off. Okay. Second thing, um, could there have been an accident that, you know, they, they, they were bunking off school and they had an accident and, and that was what happened. Now, again, that really isn't possible. And the reason why is because if one person has an accident and, and they vanish, you can kind of understand that that's happened throughout the, throughout the world. You, can, you know, people have, and it's been discovered later, I've covered a case for Archie of someone who went missing in Limerick in, in, the, in the late 90s and they were identified decades later um, because they'd fallen into, into a river, you know, so that does happen. However, four boys fallen victim to some random accident and no trace ever being found of, of their clothing, of their, their school bags. That's just not credible either. So that leaves us with, with one possibility, really, and that is that, that someone has sought to do them harm. You know, they've been abducted, they've been, um, and they've been murdered. And I think we're very confident in saying that because throughout the world, throughout these cases, that is where the, the vast, vast majority, and we're talking... 99% of, of, of these cases, that is where it ends up. Or another possibility, Des, maybe that the boys could have stumbled upon some activity that they shouldn't have? Yes, and it's something that's come up in our research as well, paramilitaries. Again, we looked into, you know, Thomas and John uh, on the Falls Road. There was a suspicion that potentially they had seen something they weren't meant to see and the IRA had potentially been responsible um, for their disappearance. And we we did quite um, a long um, research period on the disappeared. You know, from that area, the St. James's area, there are people who were disappeared. Um, that is established fact. And we spoke to Jeff Knupfer from the um, the, the person who was leading the, the disappeared, finding those remains. And I suppose when speaking to these professionals, we, we all just thought that wasn't a possibility. And the reason is because we had, we've had this, this period of, of, of peace and reconciliation. And in terms of the disappeared, and only speaking in terms of the IRA, they have cooperated with Jeff Knopfer to a point where they've revealed the names of the people that disappeared. and So I just think if if they had disappeared, these boys, they would have said. Now, clearly there's a chance that, you know, um, something else could have happened. But I just think the IRA angle and the paramilitary angle doesn't stack up either when you, the further you look into it. You know, it didn't really hold much weight. That leads us on to a key part of the documentary is the possibility that it could be linked to a paedophile ring and Kinkora. Obviously, the boys are from different parts of the city. Thomas and John are from west. The other boys are from south and east. In the scheme of things, they're not that far apart. Why do you think that that's a very high possibility? Just before I come on to that, I think what's key, and it ties into this whole thing, what's really, really key in this whole thing, and it's something that we've, you know, stuck to making this production, is that four boys, and two of them, you know, 
go missing in pairs, two and two, and then Brian McDermott. You know, this is incredibly rare. This just does not happen throughout the world with no traces being found. It just doesn't happen, you know. And we've we've spoken to lots and lots of people from, from the FBI, from the Met, Professor David Cantor, you know, and when they hear the details of this case, they are very surprised, you know. The boys missing without trace, you know, it doesn't happen. So, and here we are in Belfast, right? An extremely small city on a global scale, very, very small. So to your point, um, on one side of the city and the other side of the city. I think we're conditioned to think about sides of the city in Belfast. Actually, we're a village in, in global yeah, terms. Yeah, we're really small. We're really small. Yeah. So it feels as though, you know, Belfast was, it was a very divided city. It was, don't get me wrong, there were peace walls and it was, but you know, people could go to, like, it wasn't as if we were, 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 were we were, were hemmed in and he couldn't move around. They did, and we established that, that Thomas and John moved around, as did David and Jonathan. You know, they, they these were streetwise kids. They, they bumped were. off school quite a lot, you know, and they so they travelled around the and, city. And Thomas and John, I know, did actually turn up in Bangor quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. You know, the two boys, you know, from the Falls Road tra- travelling to Bangor. Bangor has never really established how they got there or why they went there, you know. So those are things that even now could still come to light and that's what we're hoping for, you know. In terms of Kinkora, I suppose for us as well, when you're working with the professionals who, who do this kind of investigative work, especially cold cases, and we're dealing with a case that's 50 years old, so it's very, very difficult. And um, so Professor David Kenter and we all sat down and we like, is there anything, was there anything happening at the time in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, that could help explain or help us understand what may have happened to these boys? And there were two things, of course. The first thing was the Troubles. We all kind of agree that the Troubles was, was in terms of this, in terms of this case, was a distraction for the police. They had a lot on their plates. So we can kind of understand how cases of missing boys weren't a priority. I can understand that, you know. Um, I think it's still tough to take that it wasn't taken more seriously at the time, but I can understand how resources were incredibly thin. So that was one thing. The second thing then is Kinkora. Uh, and Kinkora, we all know, Kinkora, uh, a boy's home in East Belfast, were the most awful institutional abuse of young boys was taking place over decades. It only came to light in 1980. Well, the ramifications are fairly clear. It basically means that uh, the authorities were aware, at least of allegations of sexual assault at Kinkora, some six years before they were actually exposed. Uh, And that uh, the various assurances that uh, we have had that there was no cover-up, no knowledge on the part of military authorities uh, here in Northern Ireland are are groundless, basically. So what we have been able to establish through the film um, is that abuse has taken place there for, for decades. And we have um, British Army intelligence whistleblowers in the film who claim that they knew what was happening at Concord and tried to raise, raise the alarm. We were picking this up from sources on the ground. And if we were able to pick this up, it is totally unbelievable that the vast intelligence network including the police, weren't picking up those same rumours. It, it was common currency at that time. Why did it take a newspaper to publish something to force the police to take action they could have taken back in 73 and 74 when I raised it with the press at the very beginning? So when you extrapolate that, what we've come to in the film is that there was a, a paedophile network and we name 10 
people in the film who all operated, uh, I would say, loosely together. There were we've we've established connections between the ten people. Uh, they were friends. Uh, they were confidants. They they shared information and they abused boys. So what we've looked at is: are any of these people? Could any of these people? in this paedophile network that is loosely linked to Concora Boys Home in East Belfast. Could we link any of them to our missing and murdered boys? And we have started to establish those connections. This is a place where the serious sexual abuse of children was happening. Looking at its location, it's only a mile away from where David Leckie lived and only half a mile away from where Jonathan Avon lived. I think it's important to say it wasn't just us because when you look at the documents, when you look at the archive, you will see that it was the police themselves. It was the RUC who first made these connections, not us. So I'm at pains to say that actually what we're doing is uh, pointing out that the police first connected these. And when they did that, why did they not go further? And I think that raises some very interesting points. So, for instance, when Brian McDermott was murdered in 1973, we know for definite that when Brian McDermott was murdered, the police reopened the files into uh, David and Jonathan's disappearance in 1969. Those files had lain dormant for years. So the police were already thinking that potentially there could be some connection with Brian McDermott. So that's taken that on its own. That's interesting, right? Now you will say, well, that's not linked to Concora. I get that. But if we, if we fast forward now to the present day, what we've been able to establish in the film is that at the time of Brian McDermott's murder, the police had a suspect. Now, that suspect was never revealed to the public, was never released to the public. And that suspect that suspect is linked, one of the names that we've named, to the paedophile ring connection to Concora. So immediately you start to see, well, is there a connection here? Well, clearly there is a connection. Um, and that's where the Concora link comes in. Now, what we've also established is that the police did not investigate those leads, did not investigate those men, did not go any further um, in, in those investigations. And we want to try and establish why that is. If they are linked, why did the killing stop? Well, there could be many reasons for that. And one of the reasons we give to Professor David Kenter, you know, um, why could that have happened? You know, and as he says, well, he points to cases throughout history. Go, well, it happens. People go to jail potentially for other crimes. Another thing is the the circumstances change that they move or they marry. Strangely, is one of one of the things that David Cantor says. You know, circumstances change. So yeah, we, we don't we don't understand that. We don't we don't know that. Um, what we do know is that yes, the the killings or the disappearances stopped, uh, and we don't know why. Or how. But we know the abuse continued at Concora. The abuse continued at Concora. Yeah. No. After the documentary, uh, former Assistant Chief Constable Alan McQuillan, uh, he came out. Uh, he was in charge of the reinvestigation, the complete reinvestigation into Thomas Spence and John Rogers back in 2001 when they dug up the, uh, the house in Rodney Drive. And he was quite outspoken, Des. He said it, he, it, he described as fanciful and unhelpful to the family the claims that Thomas and John's deaths were linked to Concora. He said there was no evidence at that time. What do you make of that? Yeah, no, I did. I heard heard those comments and, you know, I respect Alan McQuillan. Um, but what I would say 
About that is, um, if there's no evidence to connect to Concord, that might be because you haven't looked for it, you know. Um, so, <laughs> and I think it's it's fanciful to say there were complete reinvestigations of these of these cases. You know, I I wouldn't agree on that. Now, you know, we can respectfully disagree, but I would say the cases were looked at again. Um, there there are things called reviews, um, which isn't a full reinvestigation. I don't know of any investigation that looked into the links. They didn't thematically look at these cases. So therefore, the police, the PSNI, as far as I'm aware, have never looked at the disappearances of Thomas and John and David and Jonathan together. Now, why is that? I find that very, very strange. I mean, he was looking at a paedophile as part of that reinvestigation. And when we're talking about, obviously, Concora here, we're talking about paedophilia as part of this did the troubles mask this sort of criminality? I think it was rife. Um, I think there was a lot, and you're right. There was a, there was a paedophile living on the same street as as John Rogers, and I think that was the reason why they looked in that direction. And I can totally understand that. And I, and you know, we interviewed you know, a police officer, a senior police officer, um, who was part of that, that case, and they did they did as much as they could. You know, they spent a lot of money and and kind of taking those houses apart and looking for cases, but. What they didn't look at and what the police didn't look at is Raymond Semple, one of the main people from Kinkora, lived 176 yards from the school that Thomas and John attended. Why did they not look at that angle? You know, I, you know, it just, it staggers me that, you know, if a paedophile living on a street might be a case for, for looking at that angle, why, why would they not look at Kinkora, you know? Why would they not look at the crimes that happened there? And I think... There are other questions to answer about why that might be. But in terms of Belfast, in terms of the troubles, this the, the trouble that went on masked a lot of, of, of deeper-seated issues. You know, Brian Gemmell, one of the um, the British Army whistleblowers, he is very... In the very, documentary. In the documentary, um, who, who gave us an interview. He sadly now passed away. But he said that the abuse of, of young boys in Northern Ireland uh, was rife. And that was... All corners of the community, both sides, you know, he said it it was it was it was as if there was something unique about Northern Ireland and the abuse of young boys. And, you know, people can can pose the questions, you know, could that be because the troubles were just taking people's attention away from, from crimes like that? Did we and the authorities look the other way, do you think, Des? I think it's very clear that uh, people looked the other way, especially um, when it came to abuse. You know, we can, you know, and again, this isn't um, confined to, to loyalist paramilitaries to Concord. This is uh, the church to the IRA as well, which we know is very, very similar. And I think there are themes emerging here of institutions. You know, institutions protect the institution. That's what happens. So whether it's the police, whether it's something like Concord, or whether it's the education board, they protect the institution. So if you discover abuse go, going on, and that might look bad for your institution, well, it seems from our research, that people just kept that covered up. And that, and that led to all sorts of, of issues. You know, Kinkora wasn't discovered until 1980, until there was an article in the press. But it had been going on for decades. And I think that the issues with Kinkora and abuse and the paedophile network that we've uncovered connected to it is that it wasn't just about protecting the institution, it was about protecting the state to a certain degree because some of those paedophiles we have established uh, were paid agents of the state. passage of time means loved ones are no longer here and there's only one parent left in the Spence and Rogers family and 
We recently found Anne Spence after years of searching and it's the first time she's spoken in years and probably the last time, Des, she'll speak publicly about the son that she really deeply loved that day that she uh, left him to school. She was hoping to meet him, to go into town to do some Christmas shopping and he never returned. Let's take a listen to what she says. It's funny at their... Maybe it's just my imagination. I was over in Lisburn one time and I was walking down in the way um, where the bus stop is and this dad was coming up and I I thought I knew him somewhere before. He says, hello, and I says, hello, back to him. But the first time when he went away, I I thought of Thomas. And I said, no, because Thomas is 60 nearly. No, that lad had only been about 50. Because then Thomas looked a lot younger, you know. So do you still... But uh, some things that happens. No, I think he's still alive somewhere. somewhere. You do? No, I don't think he, he's alive. I think he's alive somewhere. You still think he's yeah. alive? Yeah. Don't know why, but the, the, I thought he just wanted these ones. He didn't like school. And it, I think they might have been getting bullied or sometimes at school. Cause I, then they we were supposed to meet him. I'd go down the town to buy Christmas stuff. Drive me, tell you what, Thomas... Put your heavy coat on you because it's cold. Put that on you, dear, and you but your all I could do and I'll meet you. And he said, No, Mum. He says, I'll come up to the house. I'll be all right. He said, Because you all, if I take that, they're all floating the floor and tramp on it. So things again must have been going on. And that's the last, the last, last I seen or heard of him. And you weren't worried about him at all? Not that time, no. To me, he was a school. I didn't know he wasn't a school until John Rogers Muller came up. And what did she say to you? She says, is your Thomas? I said, no, I, I didn't. I was waiting on him. We were down the town. I says, is he with John? And he says he didn't go to school. Neither him nor Thomas was at school. And that was from that, that, that was that. And as the days went on and... Uh, you'd have thought, yeah, I thought they would have got him. I thought they would have finished the village. He... he, he what the, what it was was our Thomas like exploring. You know what I mean? He could have went to the other side of Ireland and back again. I used to say that, and I used to say to him, Thomas, there's awful bad people out there, and if something happened, I would never know about it, love. Out there, I mean, you have to think of things again. He said, nothing will happen to me. Were you worried about him when oh, he initially went? But he didn't come in that night. I was worried. But the years that have been done, there's that many things happening, and that wee boy McDermott, things was going through my mind. I didn't want it to go through my mind. I said, no, he's not, he's alive, he's alive right there. But when it got longer and older, I never thought he was dead. Even matter about that, St James's, I may know. And whenever they dug up Rodney Drive in 2000, how did you cope with that? Just so terrible, because sometimes I said, no, he, he, because I still feel him alive. I says to the inspector, I says, what makes you think Thomas sat there? I don't know those people. He says, but do you think what may have happened because we went, him and Thomas went missing, Thomas may have been there at the wrong mm-hmm. time, wrong place at the wrong time, made him been with him, he made it, did something to Thomas. So that was the only reason where Thomas came up from. And the police maintain the boys have been taken mm-hmm. and have been abducted and probably have been killed. I don't know, I don't know. But I know you're saying I don't, it has happened or it hasn't happened. I can't think that way. 
I don't want to think about my son's torture or anything out there. I don't want to think that. That's why one reason I won't go on TV or anything. I don't want to laugh. I don't want to be like these other people saying they know their son. No, I'm not like that. If someone has adopted Thomas and John Rogers and did some things that people do with what happens when they're, they're kidnapped, I said, have a heart, be decent and come, come sit and tell us. Let us know one way or the other. If he's did something, it's over a son. But let us know, and let us know where they are. And um, I think I'm speaking for John Rogers' mum too. She's lady's passed away. Des, do you hope your documentary will give Anne and the other families the justice they're looking for? Yeah, it's just it's it's just really sad hearing her talk there, and she's still clinging to hope. You know, um, and wouldn't it be great? If we've got it wrong and they would walk through the doors one day, that that would be, you know, it'd be amazing. But yeah, I whatever in whatever way it falls out, I think the fact that the documentary has has led to headlines, has led to coverage, has led to people um, talking about this case and that of of David and Jonathan, who had never really been known before this, so they're all being talked about together. I, and I think. I don't want to be over-optimistic, but I think it will lead to, to, to new information coming forward. And I can say that I've already got new information in the past couple of days that is, is really interesting. So I think it is happening. I think it might happen. Someone knows, you know, and I think there are people still alive who know. Um, and I think hopefully, hopefully, um, Anne Spence might might see, see some resolution in, in the future, you know. The Lost Boys have not been forgotten. No, no, definitely not. Thank you, Des. This episode of The Bell Tell was presented by myself, Sharon O'Neill, produced by Graham Davison. The clips you heard are from The Lost Boys, Belfast's Missing Children and the BBC. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. 